Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. I have a very special guest here with me today. I have one of my childhood friends. I've known this guy for 25 years on the internet. He is known as Drone Phonetic. He is a hip-hop artist, and he is uh, one of my dear friends, Mason Wexler. Mason, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's dude, this this is exciting. It's, it actually really is. Dude, I ha- like, first of all, I haven't seen you in like three years. It's been a minute. It's and- really been too, too long. <laughs> yes. Too long. And you're just popping into Austin. And we're Stop like, hey, in. let's let's get this recording going. Yeah. So, dude, I know you. I know you've been on your music for over a decade now, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, about eleven years. Yeah, eleven years recording. At least. Recording. A few years I was still writing, but uh, then about nineteen is when I started recording my first records, and haven't stopped since. Yeah, man. So, I mean, uh, like on this podcast, we t- I talk to a lot of creatives sometimes when I'm doing these interviews, mm-hmm. and we we talk about how. <clears throat> Being in that creative space is obviously like one way to channel your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, your life experiences and whatnot. How did you get into music and what has kept you in it all this time? So my brother, when I was younger, was a huge influence on me. And uh, I guess probably around like 11 or 12, you know, my brother started noticing, you know, I, I, we, we shared a computer and he saw me kind of downloading some music here and there in our LimeWire days. The LimeWire uh, days. <laughs> we had Napster, but that wasn't that 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 made way pretty pretty quickly. We got yes. we got LimeWire, and he saw me downloading like some of the you know the more popular stuff that was coming out at the time, a lot of DMX mm-hmm. stuff, and you know some Nas and shit like that. And he started um, he started kind of like trying to be the older brother and show me the way. He was like, "Oh, let me like show you what what real rap can really be like." Not mm-hmm. to say what you're listening to is bad, but you know, let me let me show you some stuff. And he, he put me on to all this like boom bap stuff. Of like the like the '90s golden era, mm-hmm. New York rap, and, which even he was kind of young to be getting into, but he just somehow fell into it. And uh, as soon as he started showing it to me, I actually was listening. Like I was listening, I remember distinctly listening to like Big Pun, mm-hmm. and Big Pun was such a he he was such a fast rapper. It's like a little kid. I actually really couldn't understand most of what I was hearing, mm-hmm. but I could pick up on how pleasing. The, the vocalizations were and yes. the alliteration and all that stuff. I, I really picked up on, on like the rhythm and all that stuff and understanding what was being said, even just not just in, in the, um, the semantics of it, but in the syntax of it all, I started mm-hmm. learning more and more and, and grew a deeper appreciation. And as a kid who's always, a, as you know, a, a big talker, I was, <laughs> my mouth was always running it. That's why I knew you'd be a perfect guest for this podcast. Oh, dude, <laughs> I gotta tell you, as soon as you asked me, I said, you better, you better believe it. Hey, <laughs> And, uh, you know, and then so I got into it because he got into it and then he got into making music and I watched him do it. And I'm like, well, I want to do that, too, because I just want to keep following in the steps. And I started writing and, you know, it wasn't fantastic writing per se, but I was good with the multisyllabic rhyme schemes. And uh, I was I was doing really good out the gate just because as a kid, me and both my brother were. We're mm-hmm. really gifted writers. Just mm-hmm. even just in, in all of our writing classes, we were always praised by our teachers. So it kind of came natural for me, and I started getting good at it. And it's just something you know. He ended up stopped doing it, and I just I kept going with it. I just loved it. I, I kept writing. So I wrote from about fourteen to up till nineteen when I started recording. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I just love doing it. I'm a, I like to talk. I think it's one of the few gifts I truly have. That maybe it could possibly be one of those things that you know some people are just born inherently with some kind of talent i think mm-hmm. my inherent talent is um is is the gift of gab and i think i found a good platform for me to to flex that yeah no I, absolutely man i actually didn't even realize you started writing at 14 oh yeah like you and i were friends that whole time and i had mm-hmm. no idea you were <laughs> a little bit but i mean i'm sure you, you might not remember because it wasn't something i really thought that i was going to push along to do i liked doing it mm-hmm. and like especially really early on <clears throat> 
came out there. Really early on, I um, I I did it, and I didn't like share a whole lot of it because I was still like a little kid. I was insecure, and then into my later high school years when I started kind of getting a, you know, a little bit better. I was still very mm-hmm. amateur, but I started getting a little bit better. That sometimes I'd be rapping at school in the halls, and you know, doing it like you know in the cafeteria, and like kids would be like, "Watch me!" Oh, like you know, look at them go. And you just reminded me. I remember one of my favorite uh, memories is when we were in math class together in high school. And you'd raise your hand to answer a question. <laughs> and instead of answering the question, you just started, just, started dropping a freestyle. <laughs> I actually, you know what's funny is I distinctly remember what, what it was. It was somebody else's bars. It was, um, it was a line from, I had just, <laughs> I had just picked up the Showbiz and AG album Goodfellas. It's a, it's a phenomenal, I mean, it's like the quintessential 90s hip hop album. It's a phenomenal album. Mm-hmm. And there's a line where he says, whoever sleep, I'm going to get him. From the cradle to the grave, I'm just a slave to the rhythm. And that's exactly yes. what I see. <laughs> Any questions where we start? And I rose my hand. I gave that the whole... I thought the class might laugh. Everybody just looked at me like, what the hell is I this laughed. <laughs> that's but all yeah, I know. I just think you remember that. That was me that was just a... dying for attention. Yes. Dying for <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yeah. So so you've, you've always had this gift of gab, like always enjoying conversing, talking, using words in a unique and interesting way. Mm-hmm. When you... When you're like in the process of writing or even in the process of recording, what what's the feeling that you get when you're like really in, in like this flow? So it's 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 different because there's different times and you can you can hear it. I think if you if you if anybody was to truly like dig into my content, I think you could kind of pick up on certain patterns of certain pieces I've done across the whole ten year career. You could pick up on certain pieces and be like, this one just kind of falls into the certain category of just being a little bit better mm-hmm. and and feeling a little more natural. And that really comes from when I'm in a space where I don't want to write, per se. Mm-hmm. It's it's that it just comes to me. I'm just in that space, and it just starts happening. Yes. You know, like there have been plenty of times where I've linked up with certain people where we've discussed, especially when it's people that I'm kind of getting to know, and I know that they make music, and we're like, all right, let's get together sometime, we'll sit down in the studio, and we'll pick this beat, and we'll write, and sometimes that comes off a little forced, mm-hmm. and then there's other times where, like, I'm just in the car, and, like, I might have some beats lying around, and, you know, oftentimes I don't listen to a lot of music on my car rides, I listen to beats, I listen to stuff I'm working on, or beats mm-hmm. that I should work on, and I'll just don't mind, I'll be spending it, all of a sudden, stuff will start flooding me, and it just starts kind of happening, and yes. actually, some of my best writing, I don't write down. I actually get it all done in my commutes to work. Oh, and, wow. And it just kind of comes to me. I remember it as I'm going and because it feels natural and f- things kind of seem to almost not appear but kind of populate a space they belong in. Mm-hmm. It makes it easier for me to remember them, which you can get into the whole idea of is are you channeling a certain component of yourself in the universe that you're tied into and it's you're kind of grabbing stuff that's already there and channeling it outward. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like that kind of stuff is that's the space that I get into is when it's just kind of happening. It's yes. a, it's almost spontaneous performance. That's that's a super interesting and very zen concept. It's like there's yeah. like this acting and deciding at the same time. Yeah. It's not yeah. you're not like planning something. It just you're in the moment, you're very very present to it and you just go. The common term is like a like a like a very stream of consciousness style of rap which can be perceived and I think highlighted in different ways there's different Mm -hmm. artists who their whole their whole catalogs are defined around 
non-linear discussion of just random things and topics and situations and, and it's not storytelling per se and it's not even conceptual but more so that just certain things are just popping out mm-hmm. and there's that kind of um that kind of stream of consciousness rap like you know uh, artists like rock marciano is a great example of that mm-hmm. uh west side gun is a really good example of that they're kind of like talking about like you know, shootouts to blow your whole shootout in the new house. Like just, they're just kind of just saying random things and they sound amazing and they're not mm-hmm. going anywhere. But what more, what I'm talking about is, is sometimes it can be directional mm-hmm. and it, it can be conceptual and it can have a, a, a linear direction, but still be kind of, I'm pulling it from nothing. And I, I never had to put a pen to paper or write mm-hmm. anything down on my phone. That's it. That's interesting because I, I even find something similar happens uh, with me. One thing I was talking about with <clears throat> our, our mutual friend, Lewis, one who also lives here, he's a, he's a, par- a business partner when, when it comes to Zen Stoic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lewis and I, one thing that we've realized is that when it comes to developing this philosophy, most of what kind of ends up being the thing is not stuff that we like sat and planned, but just spontaneous conversations that happen. Like it's Mm -hmm. all dialogues and it's all like the use, the usage of our words in very specific ways and kind of measuring them against like real life situations Mm -hmm. to kind of bring that, uh, you know, bring, bring that in. Uh, there's, there's one thing I wanted to ask you. Have you ever heard of this artist? His name is like Mark Ribier. Mark Rebelay. Mark yeah, Rebelay. Mark Rebelay. Yeah. yeah. Phenomenal. So, like, so that phenomenal. dude is, he's hilarious. Yes. He's so good. I, I, don't, I don't know if you ever listened to his podcast with uh, Wayne Brady. No. I didn't so, even know he had a podcast. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if it's like a podcast or just like a YouTube show, but he did, he does like this interview, like kind of like what we're doing now, mm-hmm. but he's doing it with, like with Wayne Brady. And like <laughs> in so the middle weird. of conversation, so they'll just start riffing and improvising. And Wayne Brady, he described it in such an interesting way. Like, and he's musically talented, isn't he? Yeah. He can play guitar, doesn't he? Uh, I don't know if he can play instrument. Maybe he can. I just, I know him from Whose Line Is It Anyway. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, he would always rip it on that right, show. Right, right. <laughs> but one thing that Wayne Brady was saying that I thought was really interesting is that he talked about how when they got into this mode of like singing together and just improvising, he would talk about how that is like the most present that he is, that he ever is in his life mm-hmm. is when he's improvising, when he's just like going because he has to respond to like what is right now and whatever his thoughts and his feelings are like now. There's no like planning a, in that improvisation. That it's it's weird cuz that's one of those things that it's a talent and it's also an effortless thing at the same time. Yeah. Cause that's not easy to be in the moment. It's just like meditating is a sense of letting all things go. There's no, there is no effort to meditating, right? but also there, you know, it's something you learn to do. It's a weird, that is, that's, that's a difficult space to get into. Mm-hmm. And especially to be doing that, sharing that with somebody is, that's an interesting space to get into. Yes. I, now you, you bring up meditation. Which, which I think is interesting because I always see that meditation can take many different forms. It's not just like sitting there in a lotus position, but it can it can come in the form of stream of consciousness, freestyling in your car. Absolutely, <laughs> right? Countless ways. I mean, I used to, I used to. You remember, I was a big fish tank guy. That yes, used, that used to be like my Zen garden. Yes, that used to be. Do, do like, you not do fish tanks anymore? No, it just it gets very time consuming and it's cost ineffective. And it <laughs> took up my whole bed. There's no way <laughs> I could, your I bedroom tanks. was like wall to wall fish tanks. It was ridiculous. Shoes <laughs> and fish tanks was the entire. <laughs> so it was 
there's no room for it. And I it eventually, I just was like, you know, it's time to put this to bed because it started turning into work. And I was like, you know what? It's not yeah, a Zen garden. It's anymore. no longer a meditation. <laughs> but that's but that's the thing is it's you're right. Meditation really does take different forms. It can be in writing. Mm-hmm. It can be in reorganizing something that you collect. It could be in shit. I mean, I play video games. I, I like getting home and it drives me insane and I go crazy mm-hmm. playing Apex Legends on Xbox. You know, I lose, <laughs> I lose my mind doing it, but I kind of just get into a different space where there's nothing else happening in my, everything else is channeled out, but what I'm focused on. And that's, I think the center of meditation sometimes. Yeah. Video games is actually a very interesting one. Cause like you are super present. Very, very. <laughs> when you're playing video games. Hyper present. Yeah. Phone starts ringing like, shut that off. Shut the phone off. <laughs> I want to hear it. Are you breathing loud over there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I think it, it's really interesting because. Uh, one thing that's talked about in Zen a lot, and I know you've watched uh, Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee movie. I'm pretty sure we watched that as kids. Uh, probably 50 times when yes, we were kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but there's something that Bruce Lee says in the beginning, and I've mentioned it so many times in this podcast because it seems to be like this consistent theme that I always come back to. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> when people have this certain idea that like meditation has to be done in a certain way, like it, you're sitting there, you got to be present, it's got to be quiet, you can't be like in a noisy area, like you have all these conditions that you need to meet. What people end up losing in that sense is that like they're missing what the actual experience is supposed to be. And what Bruce Lee says in the beginning of that movie, he's like, it's like a finger pointing to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger. Otherwise you miss the moon. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really interesting that you brought up things like video games, like rapping, like basically taking care of fish (laughs) in a tank because I feel like a lot of the time when somebody thinks things have to be a certain way in order for them to be righteous, in order for them to be spiritual or significant in some way, they think they have to take a certain form. And in essence, what they're doing is they're missing the moon for the finger that's pointing at the moon. Seeing the forest through the trees. Yes. And it's that experience, that presence, that like I'm here and this is happening, but I'm also doing it at the same time. That is the actual... I, I forget where I learned about it, but I remember hearing it's a book or a show I was watching, but I remember uh, someone saying that, <clears throat> or actually, no, now that I think about it, I remember who it was. It was Danny Frank, actually. Danny yes, Frank. He was on was this discussed. podcast. He was, he was mentioning to me years ago, this was back when he came back from California when he was living at the ashram and everything mm-hmm. he had been through all, all over there. He, he was discussing meditation with me in Chelsea, Israel. Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, you know, like, the, the more difficult form of meditation is the idea that you want to displace all focus in general and create this complete absent-mindedness, absent for mm-hmm. lack of a better way to describe it, clear-mindedness. Yes. He said, you know, that's really difficult, and a lot of people can't do that right out the gate. So instead, sometimes it's better to have a focal point yes. and have something you specifically focus on, and that that's a really good gateway. It's a very valid form of meditation in itself and a good gateway to start training you towards if you can channel yourself down to instead of living our lives where we have a million things buzzing around in our head at once, if you can boil down to one thing of focus, you're just that step closer mm-hmm. to just knocking off one more thing off of that list and getting into a space where you can have complete voided meditation where you're, I mean, I, as someone who's never experienced that, um, maybe barring psychedelics, I, I would say, you know, that's that I would imagine that that's probably got to be a, a great place to get to, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be your end all be all. If you're able to achieve what you want out of finding that one piece of focus, I think, you know, if you can apply that to anything in your life, you'll probably do it better. 
Yeah. You can focus. You know, when I when I make music, the best place I've been getting it to in my last couple of years has been really trying to filter out the things that are going to validate my success numerically, financially. Mm-hmm. As soon as I start kind of pulling those things away and I start honing in on the song mm-hmm. and I'm just ready to just get out the content and make it sound right and it's for me, It's I want to hear it, I want it to be good. And when I pull those distractions away, it creates a better product. Mm-hmm. You can apply that to work. You can apply it to working out. Apply that to dieting. You know, yes. if you can filter things away, anything can 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 be that meditation, I think. A hundred percent. I think it is important, like you're saying, to have that focal point because basically what that does is you have the focal point, you have the focal point, and eventually you learn it's not the focal point, but it's the state that you're in when you're focusing on it, mm-hmm. and then you can drop it. But if somebody were just to tell you, like, get into this state, you're like, what? <laughs> like, just, where do I start? It's like when someone's just like, well, have you tried just being happy? Like, well, sometimes it takes a little, yeah, little couple steps take, to it, get there. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes, it, well, and, and I think being happy is, is an interesting one too because at least what I noticed around being happy is that you typically become happier the more times you go through an experience where your value set of what you think will make you happy fails you. Mm. And the more and more it fails you and strips away what is not you, the easier it is to actually realize how simple it is to be in that state of happiness. Uh, dude, uh, you nailed it on the head. Because I'll tell you, there, there's, it, I said I've made music over 11 years. In those 11 years, I've noticed myself go through bouts. And I do think that part of it plays from a, a, a negative place of where my intentions were. And then another part of it is that there's, I believe that certain people have different degrees of creative expenditure and what they are able to, you know, a lot. They say art imitates life. Um, and I, I'm a firm believer that if your creativity is your work and you're constantly emerging, you're immersing yourself into your work of your creativity, then you're not experiencing enough life. You're not having enough, you know, nobody wants to hear music. I mean, maybe some people do, but me personally, I don't want to hear music that's just about making music. I used to think that's what I wanted to make. And then I realized I got old, it got boring, and I found it boring in other artists. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to, like, don't make it that seven days a week you're just making music. Like, go out, and go go out, go to a bar, go go, to, go on a hike, go, you know, meet up with an old friend, go, go make a bad decision, just go live some life mm-hmm. to, you know, refill that cup of creativity that you can, you know, you can dole it back out. And now I'm, I'm like losing my track of thought where I was going with this. But it, I, I love what you're talking about right now because there is something in Zen that they refer to this. Like this is kind of like it's I don't want to I don't know if it's like an insult or it's like a way of letting somebody know that they're uh, kind of missing the point. But they would say like when somebody's Zen is all about Zen, they start to stink of Zen. Yeah, yeah, and like their yeah. their whole like their life and their being and their their sense of presence and their state becomes stale because it's only about the teachings. It's not actually being lived out in life. So that, that's an interesting point that it's not just making music about making music, but getting out there and actually just experiencing the world. Yeah, and you know, it actually now coming back to me where we were headed on that. So, so what I was saying is that I, I've I've taken a lot of bouts of stepping away from the music, and while sometimes it's me trying to refill that cup of living life that I can translate into my art, some of it has also been me feeling defeated and not getting, you know, not getting the validation that I thought I was looking for in music, and then being really depressed, being like I don't want to do this anymore. Like I don't really feel like maybe I'll write a, you know, a song or two a year down the road. Who cares? You know, mm-hmm. I, I like doing it, but you know, it's not going anywhere. I'm not making money. I'm not getting the shows I want. And um, with more and more time, I start realizing that 
I, my expectations of that were being pulled farther and farther back into a more realistic state of of kind of knowing okay this I want I do want to keep doing this I do want to keep making music and I know it won't be successful so why do I want to, why do I still feel this urge why why do bars still roll around in my head all the time and mm. I realize it's cuz it's the real satisfaction comes from myself enjoying the music I make and enjoying the process of doing it so over the last couple of years I I've, I've had you know I I took a trip to um to Charlotte to work with uh, my my buddy Six Cardinal that lives up mm-hmm. there and we have a duo called Two Weeks Notice, and that spawned out of us doing acid benders and, and making music in really condensed periods of time mm-hmm. while on drugs. So we did like a three and a half day bender. We were really we were on a lot of different things, and mm-hmm. we knew we were making this music basically for our, ourselves and our significant others to basically be like the predominant listenings of the music. And yet we were you know up till four in the morning, splitting hairs and losing our mind about we got to make sure that this sounds right. No, 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 we got to go back in. We got to fix this, and we're losing our cool. And then I. I it really hit me where I'm like, man, I'm losing my mind over this tape that we're working on right now. And I have no expectation of it to go anywhere, to be seen by anybody, to make me anything, to get me any new exposure. I'm doing it just because I care. Mm. It's because I really care about the product. And I think that plays into rolling back these weird expectations of what you want to get out of something and focusing on the, 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 the single point of why you're doing it. And if it brings you enjoyment, then that, there it is. You know, the, you can you can make you can make a substantial reasoning for doing anything with your time if it's something that's truly fulfilling inherently in itself. I love that you said that because that that that's a beautiful way of putting it. <clears throat> Especially what it what it kind of hits on is like making the process the goal. Yes, and it, I I don't think I, I haven't shared this with you yet, but you know, lately on the on this podcast, I've been doing a lot of episodes talking about what Zen stoicism actually is as philosophy. Cause at first it kind of started as here's some Zen, here's some stoicism. And I'm going to talk about both of them and how they kind of weave in together. Mm-hmm. But over the last few months, it's actually become its own philosophy. Like there is a clear differentiation between Zen stoicism and Zen Buddhism and stoic philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to actually bring this one part of it up to you because you just, I mean, you explained it perfectly in what you just said, but I'll, I'll give you a very brief description of Stoicism and of Zen, just so you kind of have like a baseline for that. But in Stoicism, it's based on what are called the four virtues. And the intention is to live a virtuous life, and that will be a good life. That will bring you the good life. So there are wisdom, justice, temperance, and courage. Those are the four virtues. You can't always control what's going to happen in your reality, but... You can control how you respond to any Mm -hmm. of those things. You can focus on what you can control and let go of what you can't. And you can always use one of those, one or more of those four virtues in any situation. So that's stoicism in a nutshell. Zen, on the other hand, is all about the direct experience of purity of mind, which is that experience that comes when you're meditating, when you're just fully present in something. It's not so much a philosophy. So more an act. Yeah, more an act. It's like, this is the experience. Like even the word Zen is a dilution of that experience. The experience itself is what you're actually going for in Zen. So what I, what I thought about is, well, Zen in and of itself sometimes can be a little bit difficult to make practical. Stoicism can be very rigid as it prioritizes logic over emotion. And I'm not saying you should, just listen to your emotions back and call all the time because right. you might make balance. some bad, yeah, you might make some bad, bad decisions, but sometimes it becomes very rigid. 
And then also the aim at virtue, I think, is interesting because when you're attempting to do what is virtuous, you can do and say all the right things. You can get the things that you want in life. You can win. You can get your intended outcome. But there's one thing that you can never hide from yourself, no matter how much good you do in the world. And that's your own intention for why you're doing something. Mm -hmm. So Zen Stoicism comes down to intentions that point you back to your own humanity and intentions that point you into the direction of delusion. One in which is this intention of expediency. And the intention of expediency in a nutshell is the attempt to move as quickly as you can from an unpleasant feeling to a pleasant feeling and using some kind of bridge in the middle there. Mm -hmm. And some people, especially when it comes to like music and art, think that, well, I feel shitty about myself. So in order for me to feel good, I have to make it as an artist and be successful. And that is my bridge. Like I'm going to solve my problems by doing that. And they might get into the delusion of expediency. Maybe they get into the delusion of performance where they try to kind of be the trendy, like whatever's trending and, Mm -hmm. you know, show the world that, Hey, this is me. This is my projection. Or they might get into the delusion of control by saying like, well, I'm going to control my destiny by, by doing this thing. And I'm going to be this superstar. (laughs) And then they might get into that kind of sense of almost wishful thinking without actually paying attention to the results that they're getting or how things are playing out. But the point is like, what I think is interesting about what you said is that when we're attached to an outcome and we're validating our own identity based on that outcome, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people that are, um, I know a lot of people who live their life based on that kind of, let's just call it, you know, like a baseline success as mm-hmm. far as most people in our kind of societal living could say as a standard, you know, like, you know, getting the money, getting the job, getting the house, getting maybe the fame, maybe getting the acclaim, mm-hmm. uh, the praise. And um, it, I don't want to invalidate it by saying like there's something wrong with setting goals for those mm-hmm. things. But yeah, I think you can get lost in them. I think it really can sour a lot of things. And I, I do think maybe there are some people that are just hardwired that like that maybe in their own way brings them their happiness. And if it does, mm-hmm. salute. I think a, a large, in the very least a large number, if not a good majority of people who do pursue a life in that way end up kind of, they, they end up short because I feel like maybe they get there. Mm-hmm. And then I think, and it's just, maybe it's presumptuous of me, but I think a lot of them might get there and then be like, well, shit, this ain't the feeling I thought I was going to get. Like, mm-hmm. I got it. But I think for a lot of them, they, they kind of, and maybe are even ignorant to it or might, might purposely ignore it, but I think they kind of realize, like, oh, shit, like, I didn't get what I was trying to get out of this, even though I got exactly what I got. And I think sometimes, like, those voids that we're trying to fill with, uh, you know, monetary success and things of that nature, I, I think you can get lost in those things and not realize that there's something else that's missing that's a little more internal and not necessarily external. I think a lot of people that, you know, want praise. Like, I wasn't the coolest kid in the world when I was a kid. I, th- I thought, you know, like getting into high school, I thought I wanted to be, like, super cool like my brother and become really popular, and it never really happened for me. I, mean, I was popular in a sense. A lot of people knew me, but, like, I was kind of like the weird kid. I was wild, as I'm sure you remember. And um, at the time, it felt like failure to me. But in retrospect, I look back and I think, amazing. I got to be my own person. I didn't just fill someone else's role i didn't pick up someone else's job and just do what i you know what they did because i thought that would make me happy i you know I, even as much as i might have tried i i 
couldn't help being who I was. And at the time might not have been as proud of it as I should have been. But in retrospect, I look back at that and I think, man, I, I left some lasting memories in some people's heads, Mm -hmm. good ones, bad ones, weird ones. But you know, I haven't met many people as much as it sounds kind of braggy to say, I've met few people that have ever said like, Oh, you remind me so much of this one guy. Like a lot of people are just like, yo, like I've never met anybody like you. And, you know, that's it's true. You are, you are definitely a unique character <laughs> I, you know, I, I like to, for better or for worse. I'm a strange guy. And yes. And you know, it's, it's nice to kind of feel, a, a to get to a different destination than expected mm-hmm. and realize like, Oh, cool. Like I'm, I'm cool with where I'm at and like, I'm happy with where I've been. Yes. Yeah. It, what, what that sounds like to me is, you know, it's typically the way that I've kind of broken down those intentions and delusions is like, the intentions will point you back to your own humanity, which is where you're going to feel validated. You're going to feel accepted. Whereas the delusions will kind of point you away from Mm -hmm. it and you'll never like nothing will ever be enough. And I make them like as a part and a counterpart type deal. Checks and balances. Right. Essentially. So one of the ones that you're hitting on right now really well is the intention of sincerity. Like when you're just, you're sincere, you're just you there you have all you need in that in terms of a sense of validation. I, what I've always you know, shared with people is that when you're actually coming from sincerity, the question of am I enough ceases to exist in that state mm-hmm. versus when you are in the delusion of performance, you're more invested of other people's perception of mm-hmm. you than you are of your own perception of yourself. And it sounds like when you guys went on that bender <laughs> making music, it was like all sincerity, like this is just for us kind of thing. Yeah. It's like it wasn't about like other people. Yeah, no. No, and actually he kind of had to show me because I didn't realize it when it was happening. I had one night was really rough. He kind of had to like kind of talk me down off the ledge a little bit because I was just kind of spiraling and freaking out and thinking we weren't getting enough done. And Mm -hmm. he's like, look, just just six talking to me. He's like, look, just take a seat for a second. I want you to think about this. No one is expecting anything. Mm -hmm. Even the producer who gave us these beats, he's a good friend of mine. If we were to walk out of this with just two good songs, he's not going to be upset. There's no record exec. There's no, there's no label rep. That's like sitting on our, uh, on our heads right now saying, you got to give me something You have a deadline. Like you have, you you owe us something. There's, there's not even a huge fan base that's out there. Like expecting this weird thing that, you know, even at the time we weren't really like, you know, we weren't talking about it publicly when we were working on this. It's just something we're doing behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And he had to kind of pull me down and say, you're freaking out. Because you care about the music. Remember that. Like, this is just because it's for us and we want this to be good. So just remember, it's not like if you leave here with nothing or even just a song or two that this is a fail. You know, like nothing, there's no consequence here. Mm-hmm. And if, if, you, if you still feel like you're worried about getting a lot of this done, just remember in the very least you're doing it because you and I care about what we're doing. I think that's, that was a big eye opener for me. And I think if you can hit that point, you know, if you can hit that point where you're you're trying to satisfy yourself, I think that gives you your best shot at success, mm-hmm. whether it's monetary or or uh, numerical in, in nature, or if it's just in the enjoyment out of what you're doing. If you can remember that you just want to do what you want to do and just do it for you, mm-hmm. then I think you'll, no matter what, you're going to find success in it. You're going to find enjoyment of it. it. It can't be spoiled by these unrealistic expectations and these, uh, more superficial desires that we want out of the things we're doing with our time. Yeah. Which, I mean, we've seen people get those things, those superficial desires. And it's, it's almost like it's hard most, not to want it. It's yeah, hard. It's, hard, it's, it hard it's very hard not to want it. And it's, and when you see it happen, it's almost like the people sometimes will become more lost than they were 
before they even got it. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I thought this was the answer. Mm-hmm. Turns what out it's open? not. Yeah. <laughs> so now what? <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's the thing. If 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 you're depending on external factors for happiness, mm-hmm. and there's nothing more. Look, listen, like I, I listen. I, I want to be in a comfortable home. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to marry this beautiful girl one day. <laughs> I um, you know, I, I want to definitely live financially comfortable. I want to be able to buy my. I'm, I'm a materialist. I, I love material things. Yes. And they, and you know what? I'm not ashamed to say that it, to some degree, they do bring me some happiness, but if that's the end all be all like, you know, if there's a pair of shoes, you know, sneaker culture is these days, things sell out in a second. Mm-hmm. If there's a pair of shoes I want. You know, I, I might really want it. And I try to get it on release day. It sells out in a second. I missed the boat on it. It's gone. I can't get it unless I spend a thousand dollars on it. I'm not going to let that be like, Oh no. Like now I'm less, I'm less happy now. Like I don't have right. like, <laughs> like, I don't know, have my sneakers. <laughs> you know, I, I, I definitely bury myself in a lot of superficiality. I, I love, I love buying clothes and shoes. I love it. I love looking nice, you know, and, and most of the time, I, yeah, I get a kick out of people. Like, oh, cool shirt. Nice hat. You know, like it feels nice and everything, but also I just, I, I'll be home and I'll just be looking in the mirror. And I'll, you know, my girlfriend can attest to that. She'll see me looking in the mirror, taking a picture of myself and she'll be like, why it's, <laughs> One in the morning, and we're about to go to sleep. Why'd you just put this whole outfit on? You know, I just, just like looking cool. You know, I like looking yes. cool. And if I think I, someone could tell me my outfit's ridiculous, but if I think I look cool in it, that's all I need. Yes, dude. I so th- this point is so important, and I don't know if I don't know if you even realize how important what you're saying is because there it, it really points back to this idea of like you can do the right or the wrong things, but with the, with your intentions in a, a diluted place, it's never going to pan out for you anyway. So what I mean by that is a lot of people would look at this idea of being materialistic or being a materialist. And instead of embracing that about themselves, they resist it and they pretend that they're not. And then next thing they know, or next thing you know, it, they're like, you know, touting all this brand name stuff and be like, Oh no, it's not about the brand name. I just like the, like, Bullshit. Listen, listen, listen. It's like, hey, listen. it's fine to like the stuff. <laughs> if there's nothing. And look, I'm look. I, I, I hate the term, but you know, I'm a little bit of a brand whore, and like, I got my brands that I like, and you know, maybe it's not the strongest part of my personality, but at least if you're willing to admit to certain things, like, you know, I've seen certain things released by one brand where I'm like, gotta have it. Yeah, it's maybe a little bit of a collector mentality. Once you find something you like, you want to keep kind of going that. That route, you know, you get a few Pokemon cards. You're not going to just immediately start jumping to Yu-Gi-Oh and Digimon cards. You're like, get your first pack of Pokemon cards. You're like, I want to keep buying Pokemon cards. You can see a really cool card in a Yu-Gi-Oh deck, but you're like, nah, it's not Pokemon. I want to go with the Pokemon because that's that's the line I'm already in. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but at least if you can identify it, you know, I I think people are a little unrealistic with themselves. And I think that's why you see a lot of like false spiritualists because I think, you know, they don't, they don't see how sometimes they, and there's something wrong with like if you want to identify as like a really spiritual guy like that's that's great that's good like I think it's a cool thing I, I think I can be a healthy route unless like you were saying like some people can kind of reek of that zen you yeah know, you they're, can, they're doing it and from not, a place of performance like they're trying yeah. to perform to the world and like and that's the difference like if you're putting on outfits at one in the morning looking at yourself in the mirror being like ooh I like this <laughs> like taking a picture I think like that's very much for you yeah clearly <laughs> it's something I could do I mean like look at you know like look at closeted cross-dressers people mm-hmm. like men that like to wear women's clothes you know like a lot of the time they're just doing it by themselves i've read countless things when i was uh when i was uh in sociology at palm beach state mm-hmm. i read things about like people who are cross-dressers alone they they don't care people will try to encourage and they might have a friend or two that they tell about it mm-hmm. and they try oh you should go to a drag show and they're like no no no, no. like i don't want to 
do that for anybody. Yeah, like, like, I'm not trying to I do identify as this. Like, yeah. this is just for myself. Like, this is something that they get a kick off of doing on their own. And, and I think that, you know, there's no need to shame that. Like, oh, you got to get out there. You got to show people who are real you. Like, whoa, you guys see the real me. You just see one piece of it. There's something like, you know, you can love making love to your partner. That doesn't mean you want to do it for porn. Right, you know, you exactly. can do something, and maybe you just keep amongst yourselves. Yes, yeah, and and I think that that's the point that that I think is really crucial here is that you're you're not resisting who you are. Mm-hmm. You're not doing these things for a sake of performance, so that people can say, "Oh, look at you! You're clever. You're stylish. You're this. You're that." Like that's not what it's for. I mean, then there's a. There's I'm a not bit, saying you don't enjoy it. I'm not. Do, but, yeah, I'm not saying you don't enjoy no, it. Like, like we're human, right? Like we're gonna enjoy when people compliment it. Yeah. Like we're gonna enjoy when you know we get validation externally. Absolutely. The difference is like, is that external valid uh, validation? The end all be all. Yeah. Is it the end all be all? And is it your priority? Coming like, is it your reason for doing yeah. things? And that's like that's what makes the big difference. It's like these nuances. But at the end of the day, I think the person who tries to perform, the person who tries to resist who they are and instead perform to the world to like get the world to tell them who they are is always going to feel lost. If you didn't think the fit was dope the second you walked out the door wearing it yeah. and you were waiting to make sure you got compliments on it, if you go home because you, and you didn't get compliments on the fit and you go, uh, I guess it's a stupid shirt, then who are you wearing it for? Right. You know, If you knew you looked dope the second you walked out the door but you're happy to receive the compliments and it certainly does to some degree give you some validation. You're like, okay, I guess I'm not the only one who thinks this way. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But like if you're if if you're going home, you know, feel like you're kicking the can because nobody told you that the shoes you were wearing were sick, then yo, you shouldn't have bought those shoes. Exactly. If that's all if that's if they weren't dope the moment you bought them, no one's gonna convince you that they were dope enough. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. And then not spe- in the way it matters. Absolutely. And speaking of uh of clothing, I know you've Created a, uh, a clothing line. Yep. How's, uh, it's called Yeet, right? Yeet yep. stuff? Yeet stuff, that's right. So, so so can you talk a little bit about that and how you started it, why you started it? <laughs> okay, so so we started that, what, about three years ago, I guess? Probably about three years ago we started that. Um, and that was around a time where like I kind of pulled back from making music. It wasn't really giving me a whole lot of success. And I was still kind of getting to a point where I was okay with it. We had just dropped a, an, an album, Me Six, and a, a buddy of ours, Mass Hollow, Mm-hmm. We had dropped an album together and we were, I mean, we were all over Florida. We were performing everywhere from Miami to Gainesville. We were killing it for two years working on this album. And, you know, every, every other week we were having a new song. We were performing everywhere. And um, and it ended up not really going anywhere. But, like, classic case of the journey was all the fun anyways. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But, you know, afterwards I was like, you know, it's like we put a lot of money, a lot of time into it. And I, I wanted to do something creative that I, I feel like I could get a quicker turnaround on. And I loved clothing. So I was like, oh, let's start a little clothing brand. And it was doing pretty good. We were getting a lot of opportunities to pop up at local events, a lot of local hip hop shows and trade markets and stuff like that. And um, we were doing pretty good. We had a great drop for our second winter drop. We had a we 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 killed it. We threw our own event for the first time. We were oh, we sold amazing, we sold more on that show than like the previous ten pop ups put together. Mm-hmm. We had a great hip hop show that night. I actually performed that night as well because. Of course, I'm going to book myself at my own show. <laughs> I mean, that's like I'm, all the things that you love in a single was, evening. An alcohol, too. It was at a cool little punk yeah. bar, loser lounge, a great spot in Pompano. And we did great. We were on a great run, got a lot of good content for it. And then, like, a month later, the pandemic hit, and it just shot the brand in the head. And, oh, man. you know, it really – most of our sales were at pop-ups. There was no events going yeah, like on. Yeah, like actual like in-person. So it's it's just, we got a couple. We got like a you know we got a couple things that we've worked on that kind of just need some finishing touches to make our first release in a while. But um, it was nice to do something that didn't require as much 
of like a heart bleed into it. We did put a lot of love into it. It was a lot of work, but it wasn't driving me insane at the end of the night like some albums might have done. <laughs> so it was nice. It was a little bit of a low stakes thing. We had mm-hmm. more, a lot of money invested into it, but quicker return. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was fun. But, you know, we've the pandemic really set us back a lot. And now with having a move ahead of us, we might maybe save trying to recalibrate things with the brand for when we, you know, hopefully get, you know, relocated here in Austin. And, um, Austin would probably be a solid up. spot for Yeet. I think so too. Yeah. I think there's a lot, there's a cool scene. It's really hip around here. Mm-hmm. I think we could do well, but for now it's with the financial goals we have ahead of us. We want to kind of keep it on the back burner, but we still got a bunch of stuff to let go of. And, you know, maybe we'll do a, a quick burnout sale just to get rid of what <laughs> we got. I don't want to log all this stuff over to Austin. Yeah. So hopefully we can do a burnout sale, throw a little event or something, get rid of things really quickly and, you know, hopefully open a new chapter for maybe rebrand it. You know, we mm. don't know. So I'm going to ask you a question that just came to mind. I don't know if if you've been asked this before, or if you've even thought about it. But I, know I don't it. think I don't think too deeply. So oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> so this this will be new then. <laughs> now, uh, what I was going to say is like what I notice is the way that you articulate things, the way that you choose your words, and this I I know definitely comes out when you're writing music. You're very specific in particular about the words that you choose to express yourself. I feel like language is such a, an important thing that a lot of people Tremendous. just, yeah, like they, they take it for granted. They, they say words in ways that are not really intent, like getting the message that they're actually intending. Mm-hmm. So like you, you're very particular about the words you choose. What, what do you feel like the importance of those, of, of that is like, you're very mindful about how you express things. I think uh, obviously, quite empirically, we are the most communicative species that we've known to ever exist. Mm. Communication is everything about what we do. We are a very community-driven species mm. without being, you know, like a like a super organism, like a, like an ant colony. Like yes. we're it's next to that. Like we're we're pretty up there in the way that we that we interact with people. And I think I think that transparency is important and i've learned from a couple people in my recent years how important it is to be a little bit more genuine mm-hmm. and um you know I, i've learned that a lot from jolene my girlfriend she she's taught me a lot like she's she's been very good at showing me that like the way that you communicate with people leaves either a lot or no room at all for any confusion mm. and um and i think that i've always been a very open guy but i think sometimes i've been a bit of a crowd pleaser and i've a a hard time kind of um, being brutally honest sometimes. And I just think that when, when you're communicating with people, if you want them to get the right message, I think it helps to be versed in communicating. And I think there are a lot of people that don't exercise in communication. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I think people don't put enough emphasis in actually thinking about how they interact with others. Yes. And I think it makes it difficult for them to, um, to practice and, and improve upon it. So, you know, like I never really thought much about, you know, like how do I really address if I don't really like, I'm just like not fucking with someone's vibe. Like if I'm just mm-hmm. not, if I'm not really feeling them, if they're like making me uncomfortable, if like, if I, if I don't want to be around them, like what's the right way to kind of just like set that space. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I find myself in a lot of situations where, you know, I might be saying goodbye to somebody and I kind of know them. Maybe they're a regular and they'll be like, you know, leaving from the bar working like, all right, love you, bro. And like, I feel uncomfortable because like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's all love and everything. But like, <laughs> not just telling yeah, anybody some that people I love. just throw that out. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a big, you know, I, I think the way that you, 
I think it's important to, you know, I, I chalk a lot of it up to, I, I did like to read a lot when I was little, but like, I love consuming content. I love mm-hmm. watching good movies with strong dialogue. I love watching the way people interact. I love just like, just testing my metal with, just interacting mm-hmm. with strangers. Actually drives my girlfriend insane sometimes because she's like, yo, can we go one place without you striking up a conversation with a random in the line? And and a lot of it is that like I do genuinely enjoy interaction with people, but it also keeps my blade sharp. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in my line of work. I, I, I work in a restaurant. I've been, doing, I've been at this place for eight years. Mm-hmm. And constantly interacting with different people really does. Um, it it It's made me sharp. It's made me quick. And and I'm I'm really good. I'm not the best freestyler in the world, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you, like I can I can riff in a regular conversation with just about anybody, mm-hmm. find a common ground, and find out the things about them that I do want to know, and determine whether or not there's somebody that I want to keep around me. To determine to what degree do I want to be involved with this person. Mm-hmm. And if you're good at communicating, not only will you be able to get out what you want mm-hmm. and make sure that you're relayed well. But you you also become good. It's almost like a sales tactic. Like you're almost mm-hmm. getting good at fishing out the information that some people don't really know or aren't as, as good at for, for forfeiting themselves. Like yes. things that they maybe do want to get out. Like how do I like tell this person either a little thing? Like how do, how do I bring up like my work? Or like how do I tell this person I'm gay? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like they have something that they want to like get out. If you're good at communicating with people, you're going to make them comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you're going to know how to fact find when 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 dealing with others yeah absolutely you, you you'll make others comfortable in being able to share with you yeah and in showing them that sense of empathy that sense of understanding and then they'll want to actually share that information yeah. with you but if you just kind of communicate without kind of thinking through how you're going to you know articulate your words to make it understood if you're leaving a lot of ambiguity for for instance like, or, or even when you see people kind of force things like you know when you have somebody be like so how was your weekend and it almost feels you can Small even talk. just in like in between the lines, you can kind of feel like they can't wait to tell me how their weekend was. Yeah. And maybe that might be a good cue to just be like, ah, my weekend was whatever. What'd you do? You know, like, yeah, I, maybe I can pick up on that cue that they just something exciting happened for them and they don't want to just come up and maybe brag it. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe they're waiting for me to ask them, like ask them how their day's going. Like, oh, you know, I'm on day straight. What, what's up? How are you feeling? Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, it, it's uh, it's such an important skill to have. And like to to sharpen that constantly. And and I think, you know, Jolene's point is really good there in terms of you're leaving, you're either communicating in a way where there's not much confusion there or there's a significant amount of confusion that you've created there. She's done a really good job at at showing me how she's just honest with people. Like if if there's someone she doesn't like, she's just quick to tell them like, hey, like you're my coworker. Like you're you're cool. I don't want to hang out. Please. (laughs) I mean, they keep asking me. I don't want you to take it the wrong way, but like. We're just yeah. coworkers. Yeah, it's the ability to draw a boundary. Yeah, you know, it, it takes a little bit of courage sometimes to do things like that. And um, I think when you're good at being specific in your language, mm-hmm. you, you're doing both parties a favor. Yes. I think you're doing everybody a, a justice by by being clear in your communication. So that specificity is, is important. You know, mm-hmm. the way, like, if I'm saying goodbye to somebody, I don't want to think that they're my new best friend because... I've served them, you know, three weeks in a row now on mm-hmm. Friday nights. You know, I'm not going to say I love you, bro, because then they're going to be like, I can't wait for him to be at my wedding or for me to be at his. Like, yeah, I come to my wedding. <laughs> like, no. So it's, it's like, hey, man, really, really good to see you. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you a lot. You know, yeah. like knowing just knowing how to be specific in what in what you're trying to get across. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like sometimes people attempt to expedite communication or not communication, but they try to expedite 
connection. Yeah. By like, yes. <laughs> let me tell them all these nice things and like real deep compliments, even though I don't really know them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, and, whoa. And you know what? Look, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> as a guy who I like, I always say like, like it, it's the easiest people in the world to, to love. And, and I know again, we're throwing the word love around in a weird way and I'm kind of contradicting myself, but it's easy to love a stranger. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet somebody in, in line they let you go ahead of them. Nah, you got two items. I got a whole cart. You go ahead of me. All right, cool. Like, how'd your day go? Nah, you know, I just got back from a fundraiser and we're helping out the kids. And you're like, oh man, you know, it ended up in a nice conversation. That person's a fucking angel in your eyes. That's mm-hmm. the greatest person you've ever met. Mm-hmm. And you get to know them and it turns out they could be a complete asshole. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, I think that, um, shit, fuck it. Oh, so, so as somebody who like, you know, I, as, as, as a guy who loves strangers, you know, I, I, I think that clear communication helps you to make sure that you're not expediting into the wrong direction. You know yes. what I mean? That's actually a really like good if point. you're if you're if you're being clear, you know, because somebody could be really quick to just be like, hey, you're such a great guy. Like, we should totally get a beer sometime. You're like, like ah, no, I don't know. <laughs> you could have dead bodies in your fridge right now. I don't think we're getting a, a beer, you know. <laughs> And I feel I do, but I do empathize with people that yo. I think there's some lonely people out there. So sometimes I do pick up the vibe that maybe some people just don't got a lot of friends. Like I'm worried about what I'm going to look like to other people when I move out here. And like you're my only, you and Lewis are going to be my Mm. only two friends out here. And you know I'm going to be meeting guys at bars. Like I'm really excited to see what the first guy is going to say or how his face is going to look. And be like, yeah, it was nice chat with you, bud. Like thanks for the recommendation on the beer. What's your number? Like that's going (laughs) to, you know what I mean? Like so you know. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that uh, like that whole conversation around because I feel like you could have good chemistry with a person, but that does not mean that you should be hanging out with this person. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, like if your values don't align and they're actually even like in conflict, they're contradicting, then it could be a very slippery slope to where you realize like I I don't know why why I'm even out with this person mm-hmm. right now. Like this is not the type of human that I want to hang out with. And it's really important to know what your values are. And I think they, they have a big influence on the specificity of what you actually yeah, say yeah, and what yeah. you communicate. You know, like, um, especially when you get into subjects about, you know, uh, if you're talking about, you know, deeper and sometimes divisive things, religion, mm-hmm. politics, the obvious ones, sexuality, abortion, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, being clear on your language. Like, you know, if, if somebody really thinks that I'm going to hell, if I don't accept Jesus, I could think they're a great person and they could think I'm a great person and they're mm-hmm. praying to God that I accept Jesus in my life or I'm going to hell. I could still like that person, think they're great. But like, I, I just don't know how much I could be breaking bread with somebody who at the end of the day, they think, Oh, you know, he could be going to hell, this poor guy. And right. You know, it's, yeah, it's- sometimes being clear about like not being like, well, you know, I'm somewhat religious. Like not like, I'm not like a traditional religious guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not like that. So. Right. You know, yeah. It, it makes it sometimes hard to hang out with, uh, with certain people, you know, so that's that I think relaying that stuff kind of, you know, the, the specificity and how you mm-hmm. address things and, that, that reminds me a lot of, like, stuff that's going on today. I'm sure you're no stranger to seeing how uh, how polarizing people are these days. <laughs> like, they, they they really latch onto an identity, whether that's a political belief, a religious belief, uh, one side of an argument or another. And it, I find it to be really interesting because when you, when you have conversations with people who are, like, highly, highly polarized, I think what you notice is, like, you can empathize with them. You can make them feel good and like welcome and, you know, sharing whatever their thoughts are. You can get along with them. You can get along with them. But you know, like 
oh, this person is like blindly devoted to the thing that they're, they're expressing to me right now. And so there is probably no chance that they're going to give me the same empathy <laughs> if I start to express what I think about yeah. it. I, I had a coworker at the last, cause I, I also work in physical therapy and at the last clinic I worked at, I had this guy, uh, middle-aged Israeli guy. He was born in Israel, but grew up in Miami. Mm-hmm. But um, he's a he's a very uh, right-leaning, very pro-Trump kind of guy. Which I don't listen. I got family members that are pro-Trump. That doesn't mean I hate you. You know, mm-hmm. like that's fine. And there was nothing on planet Earth that me and this guy could agree on. <laughs> My diet, politics, religion, sexuality. There was nothing. There wasn't a day that went by that we weren't debating with each other. And and the light-hearted version of the word. I love the guy. Funny as all hell. Mm-hmm. I got a kick out of hanging out with him all the time. Whenever like, we'd be like, just lounging around the clinic and treating patients and stuff, like we we liked each other a lot. Like we genuinely were like, "How's your day going?" You know, mm-hmm. like we 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 were definitely friends in that way. You know, he a little bit older than me, so it wasn't like we were hanging out on the weekends. But I also think it's it's possible to have different different beliefs in somebody. They don't have to be your moral. No, you don't commonly become best friends with people who everything that they believe in is the polar opposite of yours, but that doesn't make them your enemy. Right. Doesn't, you know, especially if, if they've on, on some level truly do have good intent and they believe that they're being good. Like it's, it's not hard to empathize that, you know, like maybe there is no objective right and wrong and maybe there is no objective good and evil. Mm-hmm. You don't got to make a mortal enemy out of everybody that feels differently than you. No, you're not likely to have them as your best man at your wedding, but you know the the polarization that's been going on is just insane. It's yeah. it's it's a spiraling issue. Yeah, that, and that, that's a really solid point that you make. Is like you don't have to agree on basically anything. No, but to at least be a decent human being right, to, to your neighbor. Exactly, and and I think that that's what's important. Is like for me at least, like I I don't enjoy debating debating other people as much as you do. I know you, I know you oh, get a kick man. out of it. <laughs> my favorite. Uh, my, but but my I know favorite. like, I know that you don't do it in the spirit of like, you know, this person sucks because they don't agree with me. No, It's more no. like you just enjoy it. Sometimes the, I get a kick out of it. Yeah. Like you just enjoy the process of the debate. It is, And you know, and I like when it can be done healthy. I, I had a, a right. table, I had a table of early to mid 20 year olds, five mm-hmm. of them. And they were all, they were just like, I guess wowed by my energy, which again, not trying to brag, but like people will oftentimes tell me at my table, it's like, yo, you're such a great energy about you. And this table felt that way. And they said, what are you passionate about? And I nailed off like seven things. And they're like, wow, like you really know, you had an immediate answer for that question. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't know what they're passionate about. I'm like, what are y'all passionate about? And they're like, well, have you heard the gospel? And I'm like, is that like a new punk band or like, I wasn't sure. What, <laughs> and I was just surprised cause you don't see it as often in a yes. younger crowd, but they were like, Oh no, no, like the gospel, like the gospel. And I was like, no, I'm not a religious guy. And we fell into a somewhat debating and more of like kind of fact finding in each other's beliefs kind of mm-hmm. conversation. And it was extremely pleasant. Nobody was getting angry with each other. They weren't saying I'm a bad guy. I wasn't saying that they were shoving religion down my throat. We were engaging in a pleasant conversation with each other. We were laughing the whole time. We were getting a kick out of each other's answers. And it ended with them being like, hey, can if you don't want to, it's okay. We were going to pray for you. And we would love it if you wanted to join us. We know you're busy, and that also might just make you uncomfortable. But if you wanted to join us, we'd love to have you here while we pray for you. And I was like, I would absolutely love to pray with you. And I sat with them, and one girl spoke. Um, I kept my eyes open. I asked, is it okay if I kept my eyes open? And the chick next to me was like, actually, I always keep my eyes open when I pray. One day God spoke to me and told me, keep your eyes open when you pray because you don't want to miss a second of the glory around you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, shit, I, I can definitely, yeah. I can fuck with that. And so one girl was was praying. 
me and this dude were holding hands, me and the other two were holding hands, we were holding hands, and they said the nicest things about me I think anybody <laughs> said in like the last five years. And um, none of it was that we pray that Mason falls into your lap. They, they just wished well on me. They just wished greatness on me. And uh, at the and I just sat there, and it was really calm. It was a crazy Friday or Saturday night, really busy. And at the end of this, like, three-minute prayer, they're like, mm-hmm. how do you feel? And I was like, I feel really good. I feel yeah. relaxed. I live a really crazy life. I feel really... Uh, really stressed out all the time. I'm, I, I live a manic life. I'm always getting into something. I work two jobs. You know, I got a lot of goals ahead of me I'm trying to achieve to, to improve my life. And, you know, my life is crazy. So this mm. was a really calming three minutes. Yeah. And it felt kind of like meditation. They told me, like, well, that's, they, they said that was, you know, God entering me. And I was like, well, shit, whatever it was, it was great. And if it was God, then I thank him for coming in, mm-hmm. you know. And um, that's that's actually pretty amazing. Just being open, yeah. Just because like, like, you don't like, believe it, like, you don't got to hear it out. Yeah, the, like these are these are fellow humans, you know. Just like enjoy your time with them. I like at least the way that I've always looked at it. When somebody's talking something that I disagree with, my priority is like I care more about appreciating the individual in front of me than being right about whatever this debate or because you're never going to be right. Yeah, not in their eye. If they're convinced in what they believe in, you're never going to win that. Conversation. Yeah, and it's if, not and if you win the argument, like what, what, what did you, what did you really get? <laughs> well, I really showed them. Like what I've really felt good if I talked these people out of being godly people, right? Like no, <laughs> I wouldn't feel like I've like saved them. I think they're living righteous lives to some degree. I mean, I don't know about the whole thing that they were saying. Like, well, you will go to hell, but <laughs> but I mean, they're on like a, a pretty righteous campaign, in my opinion, to, to to what to do what they think is saving you from eternal damnation. I mean, yeah. What's Sounds to stop like a really great intention? Yeah, as opposed to being like, I'm keeping all this Jesus to myself. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's you know, it takes a lot of courage to engage in somebody in conversation like that, especially to do it in a pleasant and productive way, as opposed to being like, hey, you fucking sinner. Yeah. You know, like. Well, and I know that was not your first run in with religious, you know, folk. It sounds like that it was a very different interaction that you had compared. And and there was something very unique about it. And, and I think the, the thing was, is like, you you could feel like they actually cared, like they actually gave a shit. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't just no, trying. This to they like, didn't feel like they were trying to bulk up the collection plate at their local church. This yeah. this genuinely felt like they're like, yo, we would we would feel terrible if we didn't at least try to communicate with you about God because we want the best for you. Yeah, and you know what? I, I can respect that. I don't think I can respect every little thing about Christianity. Listen, mm-hmm. I love sneakers. I don't respect every little thing about the sneaker community. A bunch of toxic motherfuckers in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think if you can see that somebody's intent is is good in the very least, you can empathize with that they're trying to be good people. They're yes. not doing what they think is evil. They're not trying to bring somebody down. They're doing what they think is bringing somebody up and I respect that. Yeah. I respect that a lot. 100%. So, I know you've uh you obviously live a pretty crazy lifestyle. You've had a lot of experiences. You've learned a lot along the way. And I always ask this question, you know, at the end of, of every podcast episode. And so I'll ask you, if you were to wake up one day and you basically forgot all that you've learned, but you're able to keep one principle to kind of rebuild yourself with, what would that be? This is a fantastic question. It's a question that I oftentimes, it's similar to a question I like to ask a lot of um people that are extremely educated in a specific school of, of education, mm-hmm. mathematics or uh, astrophysics, quantum mechanics, anybody that's like really smart in a very specific way. I always like to ask like, what's the most important thing you've learned in your field? I, I had a, a patient, this older lady would never figure kind of sounds like a country bumpkin, 
dumb smart at math. I mean, she mm-hmm. is like crazy at math. Fortunately, married a rich guy. She's like, I never had to find work in math, so I just kept going to school for it. I just kept going to school and school and school because mm-hmm. it's just interesting. And so I'll ask questions like that. Like, what's the most, what's the most fascinating thing you've learned in your field of numbers? Um, so questions like this I love. The thing I think I found most important that brings a lot of truth into my life, and I think people can bring it to theirs, is the concept of how when you meet somebody, you don't actually ever get to meet or know them at all. You build your archetype of them in your brain. So, and I know it's going to sound terrible, but like even like my girlfriend, like uh, do I ever truly know the absolute concrete natural truth of who she is never i have my archetype of who i've built of her in my head mm-hmm. same thing as uh you know like i had a kid i grew up with that was a nice guy cool with all the guys uh you actually know him. i won't bring him up but a really really nice guy to all the guys and every woman i've ever spoke to was that that was ever involved in them romantically he put his hands on them and so mm-hmm. people have different archetypes of who you build mm-hmm. in their head so you could never truly know another person and what I take it a step further too, is that you can also apply that to how you know yourself. Mm. The you that you know is an archetype that you have built for yourself of you. So who I know myself as is this archetype that I've developed through 30 years of experiencing who it is, what it's like to be me, Mm -hmm. but I'll never truly know the ultimate true form of me. Yes. So it's amazing to live life kind of knowing that you would you will never truly know another person in the absolute universal truth of who they are mm-hmm. and the real perspective of what they actually are and you'll never know it of yourself. Yes. And I think to live a life of constantly trying as hard as you can to get to that coming back to get to that destination accepting on some level that you'll never get to that that destination and enjoying that process and applying that to yourself, mm-hmm. all living your whole life, trying to get to the true core of who you truly are, accepting it in some way. You kind of can't ever get to that ultimate truth, but just enjoying that journey of trying to climb that tower, get as close to the truth as you can. I think if you can live your life like that, you become more malleable. You become more accepting of adversity. I think you become more open to change. And I think that you become more empathic of other people. I think it gives you a better chance at trying to um, take yourself out of your own shoes and trying to get into their shoes. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic journey that you'll never reach the destination. You just enjoy the journey. And that's human experience. That, to me, is the most important thing. If I can retain that, that idea, if, whether it's true or not, I'm saying it's the truth, it's my perspective, I think that would be the one thing I'd want to hold on to because then from there you could you could do anything and you could maybe almost love anyone. That's amazing. That's that's incredibly profound. I'm very like very grateful that you shared that Cheers. on this uh, on this podcast. So Mason, where can people find you uh, online if they want to you know kind of find out more about your music or even your, your clothing brand or just ask you some questions? <laughs> yeah, listen, I'm a, I'm an open I'm an open book. You can message me about anything. Just don't ask for a dick pic. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so my, my artist handle is Drone Phonetic, that's D-R-O-N-E-P-H-O-N-E-T-I-K, not C. Um, most of my handles on social media will just be Drone underscore Phonetic with a K at the end. Um, you can definitely look up the music we've been working on. Me and my buddy have been working on two weeks notice. Uh, 
That's the number two, not the word two. Um, definitely look for two weeks notice. We got uh, a lot of good stuff coming for you soon. We just dropped an album. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, IR Radio, the whole nine of them. Um, and uh, and yeah, just give us uh, give us a follow. Did I miss any? I miss a. No, I think I think you nailed it all. All right, good, <laughs> Mason. Thank you for being Vic, on. This thank you so much. Path. It was a pleasure, man. Thank Amazing. you so much. Thank you. Cheers.